don't know if you know this, but during the pandemic, there has been an, an uptick in alcohol abuse, smoking, uh, drug abuse, uh, domestic abuse, all of the ills out there. Just it's it's just been crazy. And talk about a road to redemption. My next guest has an incredible story. And you know that I have been very concerned over the past year about, of, of course, recovery. And I've also been concerned about the housing crisis in the United States. There is less and less affordable housing. I had t- remembered having a discussion with you guys about college professors uh, with the University of California who are homeless. They're living in RVs. They're living in their cars. And these are, you know, they're our best and brightest. Think about what is happening to people that are just hanging on by a thread. Well, my next guest knows not something about this. His name is Donald Hugh Whitehead, Jr., and he is America's director for the National Coalition for the Homeless. Donald, welcome to the show. What a story. How are you today? I am doing fantastic, and thank you for having me. Um, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. You know, I, I always talk about I love a good story about, you know, redemption and recovery. I myself are in recovery, so I understand it uh, far too well. So tell us a little about your story, because for you to be there and to where you are now and able to be an advocate is one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. So tell our listeners. Well, first of all, congratulations on your own recovery. Oh, thank you. Um, Same to you. uh, Thank you, and and I certainly know um, the challenges that you have to overcome uh, to to get through um, addiction uh, in any form, Mm -hmm. and then what it's like to continue to what society sees as success. And Mm -hmm. so, for me, um, I uh, was in active addiction from the time uh, I was uh, fifteen until the. Till I was thirty, so uh, it's much been about like DMX. Years. Yes, much like DMX. Um, so go ahead. And you know, I started out kind of, uh, you know, uh, succumbing to uh, social pressure, and uh, I, I had. So let me uh, back up. My father uh, was an alcoholic who died from uh, alcoholism, mm-hmm. and uh, so I was told at a very young age that I would be. Um, susceptible to uh, substance abuse, but um, I uh, actually uh, was uh, uh, in denial about that. I thought, you know, I did very well in school. Mm-hmm. I was the, the prom king, homecoming king, uh, vice president of my class, wow. and, and I was able to kind of, you know, uh, just uh, move on through uh, my initial substance abuse. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it continued. Uh, it got me... Uh, in trouble in college, I uh, lost a scholarship to the University of Cincinnati um, because of uh, substance abuse. I uh, went to the Navy. Uh, that didn't work out for me because of substance abuse. And uh, went home after that, got married, got a house in the suburbs, 
again, lost all of that due to substance abuse. Wow. And uh, uh, finally, um, I became homeless uh, after uh, going through a divorce. And divorce is one of those uh, two really um, tragic situations that, you know, exacerbate the issue. Mm -hmm. And so once I went through the divorce, I stayed uh, over the course of five years with different relatives, kind of in their basement, on their spare couch, Mm -hmm. you know, wherever somebody would take me in. But, uh, you know, one by one, again, because of the substance abuse, I ran out of places to go because people... Uh, are not willing to support um, a grown man uh, when they have their own families and that mm-hmm. person uh, doesn't provide any uh, resources to the household. Right. And finally, I became homeless. Uh, you know, nobody else was available to take me in. And, uh, first started out at a you know, couple of uh, shelters and uh, then spent some time actually outside um, in abandoned buildings and under bridges and in abandoned cars, wherever I could find a place. And Mm -hmm. finally, um, I ended up at a shelter. And uh, after being there for six months and still kind of, uh, you know, my my daily activity was finding ways and means to use. Right. And uh, finally, uh, someone told me that, that, that I could, you know, actually my epiphany moment was, I ran into my mother, who was kind of the last person to, to be supportive or, um, enable me in, mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Um, she said no, and I realized at that point um, I was all by myself. And you, uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying I, I have so many discussions about this sort of thing on WVON over the years, and one of the things that I know that uh, people who abuse drugs and alcohol or any kind of substance are some of the smartest people in the world. You're going to make because you've got to be brilliant to figure out with no money how you're going to get that next hit every day or however Absolutely. often that you need it. But let me ask you this because I use these conversations as a tool to uh, teach people who don't understand recovery. And an addiction, and I'm going to ask you because I tell I tell I'm free about it. I tell people all the time. I said when I first got high, I, did I ever think that I was going to be a drug addict? Did I ever think that? Um, say when I was a little girl, five years old, do you think I said, "Oh, when I get grow up, I want to be a drug addict"? No. What did you? I mean, and that's why when you talked about you being in denial, knowing that alcoholism uh, it runs in your family, and subs- alcoholism was big in my family, I just never thought it could happen to me. You understand what I'm saying? I just oh, never I thought it could happen completely. to me, and I just went through l- life. Uh, casually drinking, you know, smoking a little weed, and then one day it just hit like a ton of bricks. So I get that. So you had your come-to-Jesus moment when you just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. Your mother was no longer going to enable you. And I get it. I I had that same kind of epiphany, and I said, God, if you ever get me out of this mess that I had gotten myself into right here at this radio station, I said I will never pick up again. And it's funny that we're talking because I've been having these dreams of me using, and I have had uh, 
I woke awakened in a cold sweat. Uh, just think because the thought of ever using again uh, scares to, me to death. So you have the story of addiction, being homeless, and how did you work yourself back up to where you are today and being an advocate? Do you? And let me ask you this: Do you think that you had to go? through addiction and homelessness and all of these other things before you could make the contributions that you are making today? Absolutely. Um, so so even even with addiction, you know, for most of my life, I, I was uh, uh, someone you would consider successful. So mm-hmm. I had scholarships offers from all over the country. Um, I was most likely to succeed. Um, I was a, a, a writer. Um, I was a. Um, uh, I, I, I did a little bit of musical work. I was an actor, so everything kind of spoke success for me. And because of that, I think that there was an air of arrogance on mm-hmm. my part. And so, when you talk about the denial um, and not thinking it could happen to you, even after you were told that it would, mm-hmm. a lot of that is about uh, arrogance and self-centeredness. Uh, you know, I always thought my father was weak or he wasn't smart enough, and there's no way that can happen to me because look at me, you mm-hmm. know, I'm too, too smart or whatever. Uh, but that arrogance kind of went away. I think being in the shelter mm-hmm. and actually seeing what really uh, caused homelessness and who was, who was homeless, uh, because I had the same stereotypical picture that most people have. It was an older white man who was there because he was alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, what I saw was families, and I saw children, and I saw other people that I knew from the neighborhood that were, you know, football stars, and you know they were they were popular. They were like the the cool kids in class, and they were there too. So I got to have a real deeper understanding of the issue, and because I got that exposure i actually wanted to know more mm-hmm. i wanted to know exactly you know how this happens in the richest country in the history of the world let me take and, a quick uh, break here donald um okay, we're talking sure. talking to donald hugh whitehead who is now the uh the america's director for the national coalition for the homeless he has an incredible testimony and uh, he is also a very accomplished gentleman. Uh, he's done so much. He's a, uh, an author, an activist, an actor, a comedian, a journalist. Uh, he does just about everything. And like I said, the one thing that I do know, that people that are uh, addicted, they are some of the most brilliant minds that I have ever come across. We've been talking to Donald Whitehead Jr., who is the Ameri- who is America's director for the National Coalition for the Homeless. So I have a question uh, for you, Donald. I don't know if you can answer it. Do you think that we can solve homelessness in America? Oh, we absolutely can solve homelessness in America. Um, the the only reason we haven't is that there isn't the political will to do it. Okay. Because um, we've solved it. We've solved it three different times in our history. Okay. So so there's been four prolonged periods of homelessness in our history, and um, you know the dates start from the 1600s to present. But this current um, uh, episode is, is actually the longest in history. 
Yeah, and so so you're saying if, until people want to do something about it, it's not going to be done. When I hear that, you know what I think I hear think of I think of greed because uh, there you know there were at one time a lot of SROs here in Chicago, and for those who don't know, those are single room occupancies. And the one thing that Harold Washington wanted to do. Uh, when he was mayor of the city, is to have some place where people could live and live with dignity. But it just so happened that many of those SROs were on top of some of the most expensive real estate in the city of Chicago. So that went out the window as developers would come in and want to um, do all of this marketplace type of housing. So... Uh, what would you, if you, I don't know if you've talked to President Biden, but what have, what is your um, elevator pitch to uh, people like a Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Barack Obama and all these other people? What what would be your elevator pitch to them? So, um, and, and I have had the opportunity, first of all, I served on uh, the Biden campaign housing and homelessness committee. So I've got to interject my opinions about how uh, what needed to be done to uh, end homelessness and uh, and uh, prevent people from falling into homelessness in the first place. Mm-hmm. But for an elevator speech, what I would say is that the two biggest underlying causes of homelessness in America are the lack of affordable housing and poverty. Mm-hmm. And in order to uh, eliminate uh, homelessness uh, and prevent it from actually reoccurring, we must address those two issues. Now, there's been some work, uh, incremental work, on on housing, very, very little work on the poverty side of the issue. Mm-hmm. And in order to get there, one, you know, only 40 out of every 100 people that are eligible for low-income housing in the country actually are able to get it. It, there's just not enough affordable housing out there. So we need to make housing an entitlement. If you have uh, the need for affordable housing, that housing should be available. Um, and uh, we can do it. A couple of things, we make Section 8 an entitlement. Mm-hmm. We end the Faircloth Amendment. Now, Faircloth Amendment has prevented either repairs or production of public housing since the late 90s. So there was an amendment in the housing budget that said the level of spending for public housing had to remain the same uh, as it was in 1990. So now we have a $70 billion backload in repairs to public housing. Wow. And we're not creating any new public housing. As you you know, uh, in Chicago, uh, you've seen the demolition of places like Cabrini Green. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, there has not been a one-for-one replacement. So not only are we taking units off the market, we're actually not creating any new ones. And so that is part of the reason we have 7 million people that are either um, that are cost-burdened in their housing, mm-hmm. and there's a 7 million unit gap in the affordable housing in this country. Are you as fearful as I am that when these uh, eviction moratoriums are lifted, how many families and children are going to be 
in the category of homeless? Oh, absolutely. We, we've had estimates of 25 to 45% growth in the homeless population. Now, the, the, there has been a little bit since those predictions were made. We, we've seen the American Recovery uh, uh, Act um, uh, that has uh, $25 billion in it for additional housing and also $5 billion directly to benefit homeless people. Not nearly enough but at least it'll stem the tide somewhat. But we are, uh, trust me, not only are we going to see it down the road, we're seeing it right now. So um, people are still being evicted right now. We're seeing the growth in the homeless population, and it's a population that was growing even before the pandemic. You know, Chicago, the Chicago Housing Authority is sitting on a half a billion dollars in its coffers that could easily start building affordable housing in this in this city if they wanted to. But the problem is when they want to, and this, when we come back from the break, this is what we're going to talk about is they don't deal with the poverty side of homelessness. Right. And so exactly. you're sitting on a half a billion dollars. You can build these, uh, build affordable housing anywhere, but no. They want to build them in the most impoverished communities uh, or in, in the city. And I'm just going to use Chicago as an example. If they were even addressing building more affordable housing. And I've had the pleasure of talking to Donald Whitehead Jr., America's director for the National Coalition for the Homeless. Uh, he is in recovery. He has um, an incredible career. He's done so many different things from being an author and a journalist, and the list goes on and on, a comedian, an activist, and he's with us. So it is indeed my honor to have Donald on the air with us. So if in a nutshell, Donald, when we talk about homelessness, what are we thinking about? Maybe building pods. Are we talking about full apartments? Are we talking about tiny houses? I mean, or are we looking at all of the above? I mean, I've seen some uh, wonderful things. Uh, Alex Trebek, remember the late Alex Trebek, uh, I've been seeing how much he, he had really donated to the homeless in uh, California, and they're actually building homes uh, for these individuals. What, what what does, I mean, how do we get out of this and so that we make sure that no one, I, I don't know, in, in the beginning I was talking, I said, there are UFC, University of California professors that are homeless. They're living in RVs. They're living in their cars. This This isn't right, like you said, in the wealthiest country in the world. It isn't right. And, you know, the, the, the need for housing is so great that no uh, form of housing be off the table, mm-hmm. whether it's tiny houses or uh, modular homes or regular stick and brick housing or public housing. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that should be on the table. Um, we're going to have to look at uh, very creative solutions if, if, if the political will is such that we move in this direction, and, and we see it. We see it 
with the Biden administration in a way that we haven't seen since the New Deal, really. Mm -hmm. Could we Um, see this in his infrastructure plan, in his $2 trillion infrastructure plan? Yes, already we see uh, an investment in in housing. I think the number right now is about $213 billion Mm -hmm. uh, for housing. I think that's the the latest number. Of course, that's going to uh, be changed and probably, uh, sadly, whittled down some, but uh, at least he's laying the marker for the kind of investment that's truly necessary uh, to move the needle, uh, unlike it has hasn't unlike it hasn't been since the the late seventies, early eighties. Okay. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say uh, that that sounds wonderful, and I didn't even realize that um, we abandoned as a country uh, affordable housing and public housing like we have. Uh, I didn't know it was as, as as dire as it was. I just thought it was, you know, Chicago because we had so many, so much public housing, but that was a, also a, a tool to um, keep the city segregated, too. Uh, let's go oh, to Ron. From the very Ron. beginning. What you <laughs> say, Donald? Beginning. From the very beginning, public housing was a segregation tool. Mm-hmm. Um, the original public housing, uh, there was one pro- project for blacks and one project for whites, and it actually um, helped to uh, create segregation in many communities. Yep. Let's go to Ron. Brother Ron, you're on the line. Go right ahead. Hey, good, mo- good morning, Perry, and um, to your guests. You know, one of the things that we, and I'm I do like some of the things that the president's talking about. But one of the things is that we really have to eliminate this false uh, notion and a false narrative that most people that are in with poverty or homeless are the result of some of their actions. Now, you know, certainly, you know, people make the uh, mistakes. But, you know, there are a lot, and I'm sure your guests could attest to this, there are a lot of people who are dealing with homelessness who work. That's right. Two and three jobs. There are a lot of people dealing with poverty. But, see, we we have to dispel that because in terms of the politics, that is the narrative that gets out. Well, well, you know, these people are homeless or they're dealing, uh, especially, you know, with the influence of this this, uh, right-wing uh, that's going around, and, but the, that's the notion that goes out that that people are in these situations because they not motivated enough, or they they just are not doing enough to get out of these situations. So we have to, like with your with uh, with your guest, the great book that Heather McGee has um, pointed out. So we have to continue to really just dispel those notions. There are really a lot of people out here that need help. And period, as you mentioned, uh, the money here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's money. It's a million dollars. But yeah, well, all it's, all, all it's doing is collecting interest. And that's yeah, why and they're not spending it. And, and, and see, because, again, the, the, the whole political thing is that Oh, these people, you know, they, they don't need to help. So we have to dispel that notion. All Thank right. you all very Thank much. you very much. Donald, do you, do you agree with Brother Ron? A hundred percent. And, you know, the sad thing about it, so let me give you a couple of statistics that would underscore what he says. Okay. Um, there is nowhere in this country 
not one single community there that if you wanted to afford a two-bedroom housing unit mm-hmm. that you could do that while you work a minimum wage job uh, the federal government says you could should pay 30 percent of your income for housing there's nowhere that you can do that working a minimum wage job in the United States and afford a two-bedroom and only two places that you can afford a one-bedroom uh, most places you would have to work two minimum wage jobs uh, to be able to afford it. And um, 40%, uh, the last estimate, of the people that are homeless work every day. Mm. Now, people don't work minimum wage jobs because they want to. Honestly, most people work those jobs because that's the best job that they can get, mm-hmm. uh, that their skills say they can get. And this rumor that people are somehow unworthy and that it's their own fault. That started in the 80s with the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. And you remember the welfare queen yeah. in Chicago, mm-hmm. the one person who they used to create that um, that false narrative uh, that homeless people were or poor people were responsible and they were somehow sponging off of the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a... A, uh, a message that was delivered by design mm-hmm. and so it became politically acceptable to ignore people because it was their own fault and truthfully it's not um, we do have a section of the population another thing that happened during the early 80s uh, late 70s was deinstitutionalization um, that was actually started by Kennedy and then there was money from Truman but guess what uh, uh, Ronald Reagan eliminated all that so now we have people with mental health issues that mm-hmm. are either in jail or on the streets of this country. And so those structural issues, and we can't not uh, identify or we, we can't discount at all the, the impact of structural racism. So, um, this, uh, go ahead. so this is the other thing. So if we, if we really, truly wanted to eliminate homelessness, uh, there would also have to be a plan that could provide all types of resources at the same time. They Do they work hand in hand? Oh, absolutely they work hand in hand. So we need more mental health um, uh, resources for people. We need um, uh, job training. Um, we need um, uh, to, to address some of the new forms of segregation and racism that we see uh, that are in place in the country, like uh, not accepting people because of their source of payment for rent, Mm -hmm. whether it's a Section 8 certificate or some other kind of government subsidy. People can say they don't want it, and it's a new way to restrict people. Uh, We have zoning laws that say you can only build single-family houses in some communities, and that uh, uh, eliminates and, and decreases the ability for people to be able to build the kind of multi-unit apartments that are necessary. Um, And you you talked about it. When we we are giving people subsidies and then putting them in unhealthy communities. That's right. uh, That were created by design. Mm -hmm. The the redlining was not something that happened by mistake. Um, It was a federal government policy that said that, you know, if you – we're black, you can rent in certain communities, but you can't go to the healthy communities. Mm. And if you were white, you couldn't go to black communities. You couldn't get a loan. And so that's why we have such a wealth disparity in this country. So we can't discount those things as well. So we have to do, and, and, and again, 
the Biden team is really pressing uh, the federal agencies to take a look at racial disparities and uh, structural racism. And wow. that, is a, that is new. That didn't even happen during the Obama administration. I know. I know. We're talking to Donald Whitehead, Jr. He's America's director for the National Coalition for the Homeless. Donald, you must have stricken the nerve. I've got a bank full of calls. Let's get to Princess. Hi, Princess. To you all, I wanted to uh, let you know that there is a company, and they're doing these uh, homes called Box Homes. I saw them. And, yeah, they're on wheels. Yep, I've seen them. Okay, so that's a nice thing for homeless people. And are they small? Are they very small? It all depends on the size that you want. They start at $10,000. Wow. Have you heard of them, Donald? I have. Um, We get uh, emails and uh, letters and uh, calls about uh, different kinds of housing. There's also housing being built uh with the uh the 3d printers at this point so there there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of tiny villages that are uh going up all across the country one of the biggest is in austin texas uh so we've seen a lot of different kinds of housing and uh to 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 meet the gap we're going to have to come up with a lot of different kinds i do think though that um uh, so let me be be careful how I say this. Okay. I don't think that homeless people should have to settle. So I think that um, while all of those different kinds and models of housing would be welcomed, I think that the federal government has a role in creating regular housing. That's right. As well. Um, even so, though Donald, um, even though I would love to have me a tiny house, I would love it. <laughs> I don't know about it, the rest of you, but the tiny houses I've seen, um, I just, I, I really like them. Let's go to uh, Ke- Kevin. Kevin, thank you for your patience. Hey, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Good. And Mr. Whitehead, um, thanks for, for sharing that information. You know, the irony of this whole situation, and this is across the country, the amount of abandoned buildings, property and apartments mm-hmm. that are available that federal money can and state money can go and um, rebuild um, right now not generating any income um, whether it's been abandoned for tax reasons or whatever but the thing is there is enough land there it's the commitment and mr. white is, is actually correct it's the commitment to resolving the issue the, the structural racism, the the abandonment of, of poor people, and just an inhuman um, approach toward life itself. We can solve this issue relatively easy, plus the number of people that could be employed by uh, fixing up all of the abandoned property. And, and Perry, I know you know, because we, we see it, it's right in the, in the hood. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's in the burbs where there's no one living there, they become um, 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 rodent-infested, and they could be viable um, living uh, spaces for people. And, you know, just... And money could be generated by just simply getting rent. 
And Kevin and, and Donald, what about the fact that we have all of these closed uh, high grammar schools, schools in Chicago? These could be transformed into lofts and apartments, just like they did with all of these old manufacturing uh, places here in Chicago and turned them into six-figure uh, condos and that sort of thing. So the same could be done on the south and west sides. I agree 100%. Let's get to uh, Frank. Frank, thank you for your call. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning, Perry. Good, and good morning, Donald, my brother. I applaud you. Greatly. Good morning. Listen, um, I think the best way, if you truly want to get rid of the homelessness, do away with you got to listen to what Dr. King's been telling us since the 60s about the guaranteed income. I'm hoping that you would talk to the mayor, the governor, and the president like you're doing. I think you're on the right track. But see, the problem is um, we are having a problem with the connection with them and understanding true affordable housing is 30% of the income. Utility like electricity, 15%. Gas and water, free. And these units should be for those who work in a minimum wage job. Don't you have to have two? Um, make it no more than $45,000 a year. That's true affordable housing. Because see, the problem that we're having as listeners, as voters, as concerned citizens, we still allow people like Mayor Lightfoot come on our shows and not take no questions, no comments, no suggestions. In other words, don't want to hear nothing we got to say. Okay, this is wrong. We're still the dog being led by the tail. So I applaud you, my brother, and I hope you put these questions to her because they get on the show, and the host don't even put the questions to them. Okay, this is wrong. So you keep going, my brother, and I applaud you. The guaranteed income is the most surest way to do it. I don't see no other way other than that. You got to do it like that. You yeah, got to guarantee the income. What they're calling that now is the uh, basic universal income programs, and that's another story. Let me take this last call from well, Frank. We, we, but I will say he's right on track, and right. we are promoting universal basic income. Uh, I just had a, a town hall with the mayor of Stockton, California, who's one of the leaders in that movement. Right, and we, we're about to launch a a. a um, comprehensive campaign and one of the initiatives in it is the guaranteed income okay i love this i'm glad we're having those conversations and these different pilot programs i understand have been very successful let's go to frank Frank. in in particular has been overwhelmingly successful all right then i'm glad you said that because i want to do a segment on 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 this concept and i'll look to stockton now thanks for that let's go to frank frank thank you for your call Good morning, Perry. How are you this morning? Well, how are you? Uh, good. I, first of all, I want to thank you for having this discussion because I first became aware of Tent City from listening to your program a, a few months ago down on 51st and Wentworth. Mm-hmm. And since you shedding light on the situation, I went down there to take supplies to those brothers and sisters, and I got to praise you for it. I went down there two weeks ago. They are no longer there. So they must have found housing for those brothers and sisters. I didn't know if you was aware of it. So I just wanted to let you know that those brothers and sisters are no longer under 51st and Wentworth uh-huh. and that they're doing good. And I just want to thank you for all that you do and that if another Tin City pop up, please talk about it so we can go down there and take supplies because you never know. And just go down there and talk to those brothers and sisters and you will be surprised the knowledge and the all the information that those brothers and sisters have. So thank you for all you do. Oh, thank I you. I love you and I praise you for all the work that you do for our brothers and sisters 
Just sleeping on the street. Oh, I really appreciate that. Donald, like I said, I was very excited to be talking to you today because this is something very uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, I have never seen homelessness in Chicago like I, I see today. It breaks my heart. We did have some elected officials that thought of them as throwaway people, and they would just go and bulldoze uh, and, and, and run over the few possessions that they had, and I was appalled by it, and I've been trying to be an advocate for the homeless ever since. Thank you so much for being on our show. Where can we go, Donald? Do you have a website or something we can go to to keep up with what you're doing? Sure. Our website is www.nationalhomeless.org. You can also, um, if someone wants to reach me directly, uh, that's uh, D Whitehead okay. at nationalhomeless.org. Um, we are about to launch a national campaign, and we need as much support as we can. Uh, and also, you could reach our general phone at 202-462-4822. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Chicago Coalition is one of our members, and we're working every day to prevent homelessness in Chicago and the rest of the country, but we need your help. All right, then. And as soon as you you know, you know, start kicking off these different initiatives, you always have a, um, a home here at WVON, and I'd love to continue to work with you. Thank you so much, Donald. Well, thank you, and you have a fantastic day. Oh, and you too.